Freedom Hut. The results are in for the vice presidential debate, and it didn't go well for the Democrats. Plus, is there going to be another presidential debate? The Biden camp saying it has to be virtual. Trump saying not so fast. Plus, where are we now in the third, fourth, whatever wave it is now of COVID? We'll get into that and more coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends. Great to have you with me here on the Buck Sexton Show. And look, let's all let's all just take a little victory lap. Let's all just let it let it sink in for a moment. Mike Pence gets an A. Great job. Great job in the debate last night. Honestly, I thought substantially more effective than than even I had anticipated. I thought he was going to be pretty good. But this was a reminder that Pence is an undervalued asset of the Trump administration, at least in many people's eyes. This guy has been a steady hand, competent, solid, but also gentlemanly, respectful. He's a great, a great yin yang, a great contrast, you know, counterpart to Trump because of all this. And Kamala was, how do we put this gently, a disaster. A disaster. But that shouldn't surprise anyone. As I've been saying to you, she wasn't strong even in the Democrat primary at all. Nobody thought that she was doing a good job then. But so how do you know that the Democrats are particularly worried about all this? How do you know that the Democrat Party doesn't feel like things went their way last night? Just by all the whining today, all the nonsense of the misdirection he was mansplaining. They're saying that a lot. Vice presidential debates don't matter. Let's remember there's sexism in our politics. Voters aren't ready for an assertive woman. And time to change the debate format. These are talking points coming from Democrats in the media that roughly translate to our side got crushed last night. Let's just pretend that never happened. Now, look, the polls are all still showing Biden ahead in a lot of swing states and you know if the election were held today the pollsters would have you believe it's likely biden would win i don't believe that personally i think that they'll be wrong again or they'll they'll all magically be within the margin of error but always in the margin of error favoring biden that's what they like to do well it's up you know it's a it's a two-point race but everyone thinks biden's up two points and it's a two to three point margin of error no i don't see that the damn the uh the vice presidential debate as bad as it was for the Democrats, is, is not going to change the course of this election, most likely. But this is, at the, on the other hand, also all about just those, those small slices of the, of the electorate, right? The voters out there who are thinking, look, I, I just want, and, and I don't say this with any, with any disrespect or any judgment. I understand there, there are going to be people out there who are, who are good folks, who are responsible and, you know, worthwhile, productive members of their community, wherever we're talking about in Florida and Ohio and Michigan and and New Hampshire and so on and so forth. Uh, and they're just saying, look, wh- whoever's going to bring back the economy the best, that's who I'm voting for. I don't care about anything else. I, I understand that. I, I, I don't agree necessarily. That's the way people should view politics, but I can understand how people would feel that way. And for that group, for those that are going into this 
looking for who would do a better job on issues of actual management of the United States government and the economy. I I don't think you could have watched last night's debate and come away thinking anything other than. So the Democrats are evasive, dishonest and incompetent. That's really what you're getting. And there's been so much effort from the Democrat aligned media to try to convince people that that's not true. But you could see it last night. No, in fact, they want you to believe that Donald Trump is terrible. He's basically Hitler. His vice president is 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 a is a stooge and has no thoughts of his own, doesn't do anything. They say all these horrible things about him all the time. But when they can't be the ones who are just writing the narrative, when they can't be staring into the prompters on CNN and MSNBC doing the work of the DNC while pretending to be journalists, all the rest of us sit around and and see what's really happening and realize that this is a weak Democrat ticket, folks. It's weak. It is. And that has not always been the case. And I'm not judging that from what I think or like. It's what the American people want from an administration. These Democrats are not going to provide that. So they're trying to convince people there's something other than what they actually are. And the, the biggest wins, and we'll go through some of the specifics on the policies and, and the exchanges, and there were a lot of them, and they were worthwhile in this debate because there were fewer interruptions and the moderator wasn't trying to do an audition for NBC News because she was already at C-SPAN, so what difference does it make? Uh, th- there were some good moments, but the, the best single thing I mean, the one issue where you knew that they had to push and it didn't come from the moderator. It should be noted. It came from Pence. He teed this up. He followed up. He made it very clear. They will simply not tell you Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and the DNC will not allow you to know, will not make a claim on either side of whether they will pack the Supreme Court. And that's just really all you have to know. Here's Kamala trying to dance around it, trying to avoid addressing the issue. Play clip nine. Yeah, let's talk about packing the court then. Let's talk about the fact. Yeah, I'm I'm about to. So the Trump-Pence administration has been, because I sit on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Susan, as you mentioned, and I've witnessed the appointments for lifetime appointments to the federal courts, district courts, courts of appeal, people who are purely ideological, people who have been reviewed by by legal professional organizations and found to have been not competent are substandard. And do you know that of the 50 people who President Trump appointed to the Court of Appeals for lifetime appointments, not one is black? This is what they've been doing. You want to talk about packing a court? Let's have that discussion. (laughs) That's amazing. People should listen to that answer on a vice presidential debate stage for years to come about what, what you don't want to do as a politician. Pretend that you're being earnest. Pretend that you're being forthcoming. And then for everyone to see, show them that you're actually just completely full of it. Let's let's have that conversation. You were asked a question. You were not asked a question as to whether you would like to have the conversation. You were asked yes or no. Would your administration or the administration you'd be a part of as the vice president, although really should probably be the guy. I mean, sorry, the gal running things. Uh, what, what do you think? 
would you do this? Wouldn't give an answer. They will not answer. How can you trust a presidential ticket that on an issue as massive as packing the Supreme Court, which people brought up until now, even on the left, as you know, FDR was threatening to do this, and that would have been really norm busting and tyrannical and undoing our system and and changing the balance of powers and everything else. Uh, How can you get away with not answering that question? There's no there's no reason other than they don't want to tell their base they won't upend the system and remake it in the image of the radical left. And they definitely don't want to tell independent swing state voters. Yeah, we're full of it. We actually will do whatever we have to do in the pursuit of power. Whatever we have to do, we will do. And that doesn't sit well with folks, especially when you've had years now of Democrats saying that Trump is undermining our sacred institutions. They are trying to remake, to destroy and then remake our sacred institutions. By the way, not that they're really sacred either. I don't even like that term. Uh, But there was that evasion. Then there were other things. The lies that came out, uh, Pence squarely, for, for anyone who is not utterly delusional, last night, Vice President Pence destroyed the lie that Donald Trump said that there were good people on both sides. And also pointed out that this is a man who has, uh, who has Jewish grandchildren, but the left keeps calling him a neo-Nazi. They think that that's in any way fair or sensible or or acceptable and it's not i mean they're they're disgusting um they are disgusting but that's what they're doing and i thought pence was excellent on that issue i mean he crushed the vile lie about trump's charlottesville comment once and for all for anyone who's not suffering from stage five trump derangement syndrome and i wish the president had been able to lay into it when he was going up against biden the last time around but At least Pence got to it last night. We also saw what I've been saying all along, and it's just objective. It's just obvious at this point. It's uh, something that you would pick up on very quickly. Kamala Harris is just not very likable. She is a product of California machine politics. She's never had to appeal to people who aren't solid left-wing Democrats. She's never had to appeal to moderates or swing voters. She just figured out who the power players were in some ways that were also unethical that no one even brings up anymore. But she figures out who the power players were and ensconced herself in the Democrat apparatus of California and just sort of worked her worked her way up by befriending the right people, making the right allies and running in the safest of safe places to be a left wing Democrat, particularly one who's a minority female, because as we know, diversity, it, it, they don't just say it's a strength on the left anymore. I mean, diversity is a is a requirement for many things. California just made diversity, meaning racial uh, and ethnic diversity, a requirement for company boards that are set up in California. You have to have at least one minority board member in California now. So Kamala comes from that left wing machinery of the Democrat Party. She's never had to be in a really tough race. She's never had to convince people that don't agree with every poll tested political consultant uh, created phrase that comes out of her mouth. And it was 
there for all to see last night. And no one could cover for her. There was no one to bail her out. And she wasn't very nice either. She's just not that likable. Now, maybe as a person one-on-one, I mean, I don't know. I've never met the lady. Maybe she's fine. I have no idea. But we're talking about her political persona. We're talking about the way that she is perceived by those who are supposed to vote for her to put her in a position of power and leadership. And truth is, she kind of makes Hillary look likable. Hello? He really thinks that uh, people thought that Hillary was about as untakeable, unlikable as one could be. But no, I think Kamala actually was in some ways even more so just because she hasn't even had to be through the battles. She hasn't even really had to be through the political fights. Feels like it was all kind of handed to this person. And now she's just been handed the vice presidency so she could be handed the presidency. You're like, what? What has she done to earn any of this? Why? It was a very kind of interchangeable prosecutor and then made the right friends in the Democrat power circles and became the state attorney general and ran for Senate. And now she's going to be vice president based on what? What's her big policy issue? What's your now? Perhaps we're digging in too much on the the holes in Kamala's record or just the lack of of an impressive record. But also. She was a representative of the Biden ticket last night. And when you allow somebody to represent Joe Biden's political campaign and you actually force them to answer some questions or at least pose real questions to them, it's all very flimsy. It all falls apart very rapidly. And that's what you saw on that stage. One of my favorites uh, is the issue of fracking. Because you know where fracking uh, really... You don't want to talk about banning fracking in places like uh, Pennsylvania. Not good. Not a good not a good move. So what do the Democrats do when they come up against a difficult position that they've taken in the past now when they can present it to the full view of the American people? Oh, we'll get into that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Joe Biden will not raise taxes on anyone who makes less than $400,000 a year. He has been very clear about that. Joe Biden will not end fracking. He has been very clear about that. (laughs) Joe Biden is the one who, during the the Great Recession, was responsible for the Recovery Act. Okay. Joe Biden will not ban fracking. And she was very upset with the, even the... uh, suggestion that that was not the case that the harris biden team uh would ever even even consider such a thing isn't that so interesting because here's what kamala was saying during her run which did not go very well for the democrat nomination play 12 practice there's no question i'm in favor of banning fracking so yeah and and starting there's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking. So now I understand this is where people would jump in who are the little the the Kamala handlers and and, you know, spin room people and everything else say, well, she's now a part of a different ticket. But there's an even bigger problem. Right. So she clearly when it was the Democrat primary was going to ban fracking. And for those who don't know this, I think it's worth uh, worth everyone understanding that fracking is a huge 
a huge component now of our energy uh, situation. That fracking is something that's done routinely so that people have access, so that the companies that are taking this stuff up out of the ground are able to create this unbelievable American energy superpower that we've become in the last 10 or 15 years. So anyone who's saying ban fracking, you have to understand this is big. Hydraulic fracking is used, uh, it's where you take a process of injecting liquid, 99% water and sand, tiny amount of lubricants into shale formations that create small fractures, allowing the extraction of oil or natural uh, gas from sites where the oil derrick and the well have been removed. More than 90% of American oil and gas wells are currently uh, hydraulically fractured. 90% of oil and natural gas is, involves fracking. You're going to ban fracking? This is what, it's, it's actually a really big deal. You're going to ban fracking? You're telling people to do this? Oh, okay, Kamala Harris says, I, I wouldn't do that. And now she's on Biden's ticket, so maybe she... Hmm, what was Biden saying about this before, too? Play one. No more, no new fracking. We, we are... We are going to get rid of fossil fuels. Like, what about, say, stopping fracking and stopping pipes? Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Number one. Three consecutive American presidents have enjoyed stints of explosive economic growth due to a boom in oil and natural gas production. As president, would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth, even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. Oh, but he wouldn't ban fracking, Kamala says. These people are lying to you my friends, and you know it. And I hope all the American people know it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's certainly more policy to discuss, and, and I want to do that with you today from the, the takeaways from, from this debate. But first, can we just have some fun with the, oh, Kamala is, is wonderful media? She's really her core constituency is the editorial page of the New York Times. And if you're wondering who are the biggest Kamala supporters, it's people who work for establishment media, uh, people who are big producers in Hollywood, left wing hedge fund managers. They, they love Kamala. They think she's great. You know, she's great. But just normal Americans. And I'm talking about Democrats now. They're like, nah, not so much. Sorry, not into it. And the media now has to do this whole act where they come up with explanations for why it was such a a tremendously lackluster performance last night. Here is uh, fake Tapper explaining, you know, try try to come up with a, a rationale for why Kamala got crushed. I mean, straight up trounced in that debate. Play two. I wonder if a woman candidate feels like she can't push as much or steamroll as much as, say, Mike Pence can for fear of seeming Mm -hmm. and offending some segment of the electorate. I'm not saying it should be that way, but I'm wondering if it is that way. 
Yeah, I'm just asking questions. Like, maybe it's sexism. I'm just asking questions, though. You know, just just asking questions. Just just floating an idea. Just putting out some analysis. I'm a straight reporter, man. I'm I don't do opinion. You don't do clean up on aisle seven for Kamala's disastrous performance because that's what that sounds like. Oh, she can't be assertive enough. She was nasty to him. To Pence at different parts during the debate. And I, I think she thought because of what we had seen with President Trump that maybe she'd be able to goad Pence into the same kind of look. I thought Trump was a little too aggressive in some parts of the last debate. You know that I've said that where it was just counterproductive for him. And that's what I'm really focused on. But now you look at the way that the media is trying to convince people that there was uh, sexism involved here or something like that. It's just it's completely absurd. The problem is when Kamala Harris is asked, are you going to ban fracking? She says, absolutely not. When both her and Joe Biden have been like, yeah, fracking is evil. Get rid of it (laughs) on the campaign trail in this election. That's the problem. The problem is she repeats the Charlottesville lie and is so sanctimonious and smug while she does it. And you look at her, you go, what is this? We all have access to the transcript. It's online. You can watch the, the video of that press conference. And you can also just think through. Does anyone really believe the president of the United States who wants to uh, stay president, get reelected as president, that, that he's going to openly praise neo-Nazi? Of course not. They don't really think he did that. They just think they can get away with saying he did that, which has been the game, the game all along here. Uh, MSNBC had a comment. You know, there's more of this, of the sexism thing. MSNBC had a commentator who, there's so many of them, but he's got to hear some of it. It's kind of fun to hear that. Ah, just, ah, I don't know what to do because no, no serious person could watch that debate and think anything other than, well, Kamala was outclassed on presentation and on policy. That's it. Everything else is kind of a waste. Everything else is make-believe time. So let's get into some of that make-believe time. Here's uh, someone on MSNBC, never heard of this person before. Play 29. The things that jumped out for me were the way that he seemed extremely uh, misogynistically dismissive of the other two women who were there um, in conversation with him. He talked all over the moderator like she didn't even matter and then certainly had you know a bit of disregard for uh, Kamala Harris and just kept on going, even with a calm tone. And I think that you know he showed himself out to be in a very evangelical way, I'd say, um, someone who is dismissive and disregards women. I didn't like that tone and tenor. Um, I also didn't like the fact that he just lies through his teeth. The guy is responsible for 211,000, um, I think, now deaths due to COVID. He's in charge of the committee. He's responsible for, I mean, how much stupid can you fit into one soundbite is a, is a fair question you could ask me right now. First of all, the misogyny that she claims was there. Vice President Pence, I thought, was, was very gracious and, and quite respectful of Kamala Harris. He started out the debate by saying, honored to be here on the stage with you. He very clearly uh, established a level of respect that I don't think was always reciprocated from Kamala with all the faces and the, you know, the pursing of the lips and the rolling of the eyes and all the things that she was doing when he's talking. I mean, that may play well with the MSNBC audience, but for people who really want to know what these uh, individuals who are who are vying for a very consequential role, very consequential job, uh, they they don't like those kinds of little games. And but then, of course, this commentator at the end says that he's responsible for 200,000 deaths. 
Does anyone think does anyone think that with a Biden administration? I just want to what, what how many deaths would we have with a Biden administration? I would like to I'd like to know what the Biden supporters think. Ten thousand. Twenty thousand. Is, is that really what they're going to claim? We're, we're going to have if that were true, we would have by far we'd have a lower death. We'd have a lower death rate per capita population than than any any country in the world that has actually been hit by this thing. That's over you know 10 million people. We got 350 million people in this country. They have 20,000 dead in Argentina. So, or 330 million people in this country, I should say. Although how, how many illegals there are is still an open question. Uh, they're, they're living in a fantasy land. That's not surprising, I suppose. Oh, speaking of fantasy land, that's a perfect, that's a perfect transition point here to Mika, who just hates our president, just hates him. Ah. I, who who turns on the TV in the morning and goes, you know, I really need to know what Mika Brzezinski thinks of something from her deep expertise of having her hair and makeup done and reading off a prompter for many years. I really need to hear what she thinks. I, I just wonder about that. Same thing with Joe Scarborough, by the way. But I, I, I'm curious. I kind of want to meet the person who finds Mika insightful. Or Joe, for that matter. But here she is. Living in a in a truly alternative universe. But what else are you going to do? You're a flack. You're a hack. You're there to do a job, which is to promote the Democrat candidate. Here is Mika. Play 30. Oh, I thought Kamala Harris uh, was fabulous. And uh, she was disciplined. She was strong. Um, she kept a fine balance in terms of tone, which you know, would be a challenge for any woman uh, debuting on the national stage like that as a vice presidential candidate. Um, she was reality versus whatever was happening on the other side of the stage. And she really um, used every every skill in her toolbox to, to deliver a clear, almost, you know, near perfect performance. She was right on, spot on. <laughs> a near perfect performance. This is awesome. You know why I made you listen to this? I mean, there's a reason for it. Not not just because I find it amusing, although that's a big a big part of it. That what she just gave you is what the lib hack media that, that that's a perfect. You could use that as an exemplar. That would be the the boilerplate, the template of what you say after debate with a Democrat involved where you're just going to say the same thing about them no matter what because you don't care because you are a cheerleader for them. You are a booster. You are rooting for and actively trying to help them win. This is this is what you would have. This is what you would say if you hadn't seen the debate and you walked on set in the morning. You hadn't even watched a minute of it. But you know you're a, a Democrat. You know you're a phony and a fraud. And you got to support the Democrat candidate no matter what. So that's it. Oh, she was fabulous, disciplined, strong. He said this about, said this about anybody in the day. What about her not answering critical questions and really not answering them? I mean, it was clear that she was like, no, nah, just not going to answer. Sorry. Oh, OK. Uh, there was there was nothing about her performance that was fabulous. And there was certainly no reasonable human being who remember reasonable is the caveat there. No reasonable human being who saw that and thought, you know what? Kamala was perfect. Kamala was perfect. Yeah. So perfect that Democrat voters in the primary were like, we have no interest in this person whatsoever. But we appreciate that the New York Times, the Washington Post have tried to 
foist her upon us. Look, I do believe that for a lot of the journos, they have a, a nostalgia. They have a, a PTSD from Trump. They have post-traumatic, actually it should be PTTD, post-traumatic Trump syndrome or disorder, post-traumatic Trump disorder. Uh, that's what they've got. They can't adjust to this new world. They can't deal with this new world. And they also have this crippling nostalgia for Obama. And I think our media, which is diversity obsessed and deeply superficial, I mean, our national news media is full of vain, uh, really a bunch of vain, self-loving, but secretly self-loathing idiots. I think that they see some similarities in in background, in presentation, uh, in in storyline between Obama and Kamala. And that for them is enough. That for them is all that is necessary. Right. They think that they can maybe get back to the great old days, the eight years of the Obama administration. And so they add her to Biden. And what do you have? Obama 2.0, a third term of the glorious Obama administration. That's to me how we got to this point, because on skill, on on the electoral map, on any of these other political considerations, you can't look at Kamala and think that this is is really the best they could come up with. That doesn't make any sense. You know, if she were from Ohio, if she were the senator from uh, from Michigan, you know, I would think that there's a distinct possibility, but nope, it's because they want Obama term two. That's what they're going for. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I thought that wasn't even a contest last night. She was terrible. She was, uh, I don't think you could get worse, and totally unlikable. And she is. She's a communist. She's left of Bernie. She's rated left of Bernie by everybody. She's a communist. We're going to have a communist, and she's going to be, in my opinion, within a month. Look, I stood next to Joe, and I looked at Joe. Joe's not lasting two months as president. Okay, that's my opinion. <laughs> I mean, the president... Oh, man, he's calling her a communist. He's saying Joe's not going to last two months. This is this is when I love this guy. This is uh, this is when he's really at, at his most entertaining when he just decides to let it rip. But understand who he's fighting against. Understand that the other side uh, doesn't even do this stuff in jest. I mean, they'll say the most crazy, untrue, absurd stuff imaginable. And if it works, it works. They, they don't care at all. Here's Steve Schmidt, the dumbest political analyst on TV. Not surprising. I ran John McCain's campaign into the ground so that John McCain could get absolutely crushed, crushed by Barack Obama. Not even close. And uh, it was part of the picking Sarah Palin genius decision. So here's Steve Schmidt. I, I, he's not trying to be funny. He's just crazy. The thing is, sometimes these lib commentators will say something that... You go, well, I mean, maybe they're trying to get a rise out of us or they're being hyperbolic on purpose. No, they're actually just nuts. They're, they're not normal. There's something, something deeply wrong with them. And here is uh, Steve Schmidt, play 28. And not for nothing. I mean, I don't think it's ever a good sign when a fly lands on your head for two minutes. You know, that's a, 
that's a sign all through history of sin and historically, biblically, uh, maybe you wouldn't normally say this after uh, you wouldn't. It's only safe to say this, sorry, after midnight. But, you know, the, a fly, he who commands the fly has always been seen historically as the mark of the devil. He who commands a fly, the mark of the devil. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, OK, what's he talking about? If you didn't see the debate, there was about a 90 second or so period where a common house fly, I guess you'd say, I think that's what it was, landed in Vice President Pence's hair. And because his hair is silver, it was noticeable, but it flew away. And it wasn't a big deal. It was a little distracting for a second. You go, what are the chances of this? Uh, I was just glad that it, it didn't stay there the whole time. But, you know, Steve Schmidt, I mean, this is what people, they're grasping, folks, and they're grasping at straws. They got nothing. There was nothing to take from last night's debate that was good for the Democrats. And as we're in the final few weeks here before, well, I know Americans are already voting in some places, but before all of us have to cast our votes, except for the uh, Democrat election fraudsters who are going to, Send in ballots late or figure out where they need a little more help. And all of a sudden, some of those, you know, oh, because that would never happen. Sure. Yeah. Anyone really anyone really believe that? Um, But they're they're only able to win by lying about what they want to do. You know, Democrats have really abused the word lie a lot. They'll say that Trump lies when he says that, you know, he's the best president ever. That's not a lie. I mean, you might think that's not a true thing to say, but it's not a lie or it's not an accurate thing to say. Uh, but they they abuse words and lying is, is one of them. They can't be honest with the American people about what they want to do. Right. If Trump says that he's going to build a wall and he comes into office as he has and is trying to build a wall and keeps getting stopped and stopped. It wasn't a lie when he said, I'm going to build a wall. That was his plan. They just got in the way of the plan. But he did try to execute on it. Democrats are lying to you. They're lying to the American people because they don't even want to do the things that they say they want to. And they won't do things that they say they will. So that's a pretty big difference. And the president points that out. Call uh, play uh, 23. Uh, he gets up and he says, we're not fracking. We're not fracking. He was fracking for six months. He was fracking. He was raising his, his very thin hand and he was fracking. And now all of a sudden he's not fracking. Well, tell the Pennsylvania people that you're going. You know, it, it's ridiculous. He said he's not fracking. That's all he said. And then all of a sudden he goes to a fracking right. mode. And how about her? She committed her life to it. And all of a sudden she's a fracker. She's a big fracker. They're going to stop fracking the minute they get into office. They're lying to everybody. They're lying about so many different things. It's true, but they can't win unless they lie. What is Trump? I'm not talking about his record. When, when Trump says what he stands for, what he wants to do, we've seen for four years, he does stand for those things and does try to accomplish those things and in some cases has delivered on some major areas. He also does not get enough credit for not getting us involved in a pointless war because for, you know, for my uh, young adult life or for my 20s and into my 30s, we just we couldn't stop getting drawn deeper into one war or into another war. So we'll talk about foreign policy more in the next hour. But the president deserves a lot of credit for that. Doesn't get any of it from the media at all. And Kamala and Biden, meanwhile, get away with lying constantly. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What about the Green New Deal, folks? 
Wasn't that the big idea that the Democrats rolled out before COVID that we spent all this time talking about? And, and, and it became something that you could expect to be asked whether, whether climate change was an existential threat. That's a fancy sounding way. I mean, that's a pseudoscientific way of asking if you don't do what we want you to do on climate change, you understand that everyone's going to die, right? You understand we're all going to die from climate change. We are all going to die, as I like to remind everybody. It's important to know that. But we're all going to die from climate change. Um, this is insane. This is a belief for crazy people. But they really think it. They really think that unless, you know, California reduces its carbon emissions by, I don't know, 20% or something, or they change it all. That doesn't matter. Unless Californians start living greener lives and we give the federal government more control over industry, we're all going to die from climate change. So I think it's, it's important for us to understand just how they frame the issue normally, like what they say when they talk about climate change, what are they claiming the downside is? And then beyond that, why would they walk away from it now? I mean, if they've established that it's an existential threat, if I told you that I thought there was something that was truly capable of wiping out the human race, and I really believed that, anytime that issue came up, I would say, whatever we have to do to address this, we have to do it without fail. Because what could be more important than the, uh, the continuation of our species? I think it's very hard to find. Right. So they take the, they take it to that level with the rhetoric. They say it's an and they even asked Mike, uh, Mike Pence this last night, the uh, journal, whatever her name was. I don't, I don't remember who cares. Totally uh, replaceable with a thousand other kind of boring journals. Uh, but they ask, is, is, is climate change an existential threat? And sure enough. Mike Pence just kind of said, look, you know, there's some things we need to do. The climate's always changing. I like that, by the way. All you have to do, this is the response. When someone says, do you believe in climate change? You just respond, the climate's always changing. It, it, it took us a while to get to something, but it's true. It does not concede what they're looking for you to really concede, which is you're going to do what we say about the climate, right? No, you're saying, yeah, the climate changes. Sure, it does. And it drives libs nuts. Which is the best part, which is really one of the biggest reasons that I think it's so clear that everybody should support Donald Trump, if nothing else. And there's a lot of other stuff, but just for the way that it would trigger libs alone, getting Donald Trump four more years to me feels like a great idea. Just for the way that it would make them uh, completely lose their minds, their heads would explode. It's worth it. It's it's worth it. So then there's all these other issues. But on the Green New Deal, Mike, Pre, uh, Mike Pence pointed this out. They're playing another game here where they're saying that Biden's plan is not the Green New Deal. But he also said that it's greatly influenced by the Green New Deal. Well, why not just have it be the Green New Deal? Talking about an existential threat, right? The journo last night even asked about the existential nature of climate change. Pence pointed this one out, and I have to say he was he was quite right in doing so. Play eight. And with regard to banning fracking, I just recommend that people look at the record. You yourself said repeatedly that you would ban fracking. You were the first Senate co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. And while Joe Biden denied the Green New Deal, Susan, thank you for pointing out. The Green New Deal is on their campaign website. 
And as USA Today said, it's essentially the same plan as you co-sponsored with AOC when she submitted it in the Senate. And you just heard the senator say that she's going to resubmit America to the Paris Climate Accord. Look, the, the American people have always cherished our environment. We'll continue to cherish it. We've made great progress reducing CO2 emissions through American innovation and the development of natural gas through fracking. We don't need a massive $2 trillion Green New Deal that would impose all new mandates on American businesses and American families. Of course we don't need that. But the Democrat left is psychotic about climate change. It's their religion replacement. It's the religion for people who think they're too smart for religion. That's what climate change is. It's a, it's a belief about existential nature, right? It's, it's a belief about why we're here and the end of days. And it has, and then you get more into it, you know, paying for indulgences with the carbon offsets. And, and it is completely set up in a way that it's an analog of a, an actual belief in a creator and God of a religious belief, except the, the God is earth, right? The, the, the planet, it's like, a, it, so in that sense, it's a more early stage or primitive religion where it's earth worship. Uh, that's what you actually have with the climate change belief. But they think it's all science. Isn't that fascinating? They believe it's a deeply, uh, a, a deeply scientific and sophisticated belief system but really, at the end of the day, uh, it's because why are we all here? Oh, oh, we exist to save the planet. And the way we're going to save the planet is by making sure that you can't have a plastic grocery bag. No, you have to have one of those dumbass paper bags that will have a hole in it when you're trying to actually carry some milk and eggs back to your home. That's how we're going to save the planet. These petty idiots think that that's really true they think that oh you know it's it was the the landfills are filling up too fast and it's we're we're choking all the sea life and and the co2 is all over the all over the air co2 is less than one percent of the atmosphere and yet they believe that it's going to warm up the whole planet they they can't tell you what the warming will actually be and they can't even measure it accurately 10 years from now but we're supposed to all change our lives because of what's going to happen 100 years from now. I know I, I don't want to get too deep into the how climate change is insane. But the more obvious thing, and I mean climate change catastrophist, this notion that if we don't do everything the left wants us to do, we're all going to die. And I, that's really it. We're all going to die. I'm not I'm not trying to be funny. Well, I mean, it is kind of funny, but I'm not exaggerating. That's what they say. Unless people believe in the scientific wisdom of AOC. I mean, I remember in college, I mean, there were people I knew, guys and girls, uh, who were like AOC and that they were the dumb kid in the class who still spoke a lot and thought everyone should listen to them. I, I've been around people like that who have a tremendous and unearned confidence in their intellectual abilities and have no self-awareness that they're way beyond their their knowledge and, and their understanding and that's what AOC is on climate. That's why she had the staffers, right? And this was where we got cow farts. Remember that? We got to stop the cow farts. And oh, no, that was in a, a working paper that wasn't supposed to be released. Sure, sure it was. No, the truth is, if you believe in climate change catastrophe, then you have to also understand that you have to get rid of meat. And there have been Democrats who even say this. I, I believe it was at one of the town halls, which were just kind of in-kind donations, to Democrats that CNN and these other channels do, 
where I think I think it was Kamala Harris who was asked about whether we should consider banning meat because of the climate change. And she was like, yeah, yeah, that's a really, really interesting, which, again, is what the this is what a professor does when you're saying something that's dumb, but the professor's not trying to be mean. So that's a really that's a really uh, interesting perspective, they'll say. Right. Which is a, a kind way of saying what kind of garbage are you saying? But I don't know. Maybe Kamala would want to ban meat if that would get her enough votes and enough donations. Because methane from cows, look, I know it's so dumb that it's hard to even talk about this out loud, but it's true. Methane from cows uh, creates much greater damage to the uh, to the atmosphere and the environment and causes much more warming than what you get from a whole lot of other areas where they're focusing in on CO2. So they've been wrong about this. They're going to be talking about this for another 50 years. I mean, this is not going away. And in 50 years, they're going to keep saying Every 10 years, we'll be told we have 10 years before it's too late to fix this. And then in 10 years, they'll just, you know, enough time will have elapsed that people will forget that 10 years ago they were saying, look, it's this is maybe just the circuitry or the wiring of certain human brains, but this is the way it's going to be. This is how it will play out. Oh, and another area where we were we're treated to a, a Democrat Fantasyland version of, of what's really going on uh, on what will happen. This was a question in the debate. Now, we were so we were so burned. I know many of us were expecting it, but we were so burned by Chris Wallace being so far in the tank for Joe Biden uh, that I think this debate moderator and Jesse Kelly and I talked about this last night on on the first uh, that this debate moderator was just not as horrible. So you want to think, okay, I guess she's all right. But one of the questions that they asked was, what do you do if Donald Trump doesn't accept the results of the election? What do you do if Donald Trump doesn't accept the results? Who who thinks that's going to happen? What evidence is there for that actually being a, a serious concern? And Vice President Pence did a very good job dealing with this issue. Play 11. But when you talk about accepting the outcome of the election, um, I, I must tell you, Senator, your party has spent the last three and a half years trying to overturn the results of the last election. It's amazing. When Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, the FBI actually spied on President Trump and my campaign. I mean, there were documents released this week that the CIA actually made a referral uh, to the FBI documenting that those allegations were coming from the Hillary Clinton campaign. And of course, we've all seen the avalanche, the, what, what you put the country through for, for the better part of, of three years until it was found that there was no obstruction, no collusion, case closed. And then, Senator Harris, you and your colleagues in the, in the Congress tried to impeach the president of the United States over a phone call. And now Hillary Clinton has actually said to Joe Biden that under, in her words, under no circumstances should he concede the election. So so who are we really worried about refusing election results? Who, who is really of concern here for rejecting the expressed will of the American people through a free and fair election? It's Democrats, friends. There was no Republican movement in 2012 to... Uh, to pretend Obama didn't really win or to to, you know, unseat him or impeach him or have a special counsel against him. Look at the record with Democrats. You have an impeachment against Donald Trump over the Ukraine phone call, phone call, which was just crazy town. The whole thing was crazy town and we know it. 
didn't go anywhere, was never going anywhere. But Nancy Pelosi's nuts. She's a rich, you know, nutty old lady. And you had the three year long special counsel investigation based on Hillary Clinton campaign uh, dirt dossier. Totally false, but that led to a special counsel and all the other stuff. And the whole point of the special counsel was to create the grounds for removing Trump from office through impeachment and removal in the, in the Senate. So that was the point of it. So it's not like it didn't at least give them something, but it didn't give them enough. There were the marches of people saying, not my president after Trump won. I remember that that was happening here in New York and other places. So they just immediately rejected it. Uh, there was the special counsel during the Bush administration of Scooter Libby. So this is their favorite tactic. They get a special counsel to go after the top people in the administration as a weapon. Over the completely farcical, oh, Valerie Plame, she's in so much. It's crap. I was in the CIA. It's crap. The whole thing was nonsense. But, you know. They were going after Bush people and Bush got very unpopular at that point because of the Iraq war and was going on Afghanistan, the war on terror. And nobody was willing to step up and say, this is not meant for this. This is this is really unconstitutional, actually, to create this body of uh, investigative partisan hacks who aren't really accountable. Anyway, and then you have the 2000 election. Who didn't who didn't accept the results? Al Gore, who kept taking it to court? Al Gore. So you have this long line of. Actions taken by Democrats meant to ignore election results. But last night we're at Donald Trump uh, or rather Mike Pence has asked, what if Donald Trump doesn't accept the results of the election? Where is there any evidence for that? Hillary Clinton has said Democrats shouldn't accept the results of the election. Democrats have been setting up mail in balloting. Intended, in my mind, not only to try to help them win through possibly fraudulent means, but also to create the grounds for rejecting the election results based upon, you know, I've been I've been predicting this, too, that they would reject the grounds for the election results based upon the very changes to the election process that they insisted on. Oh, OK, that's where we are. That's where we're heading. And yet Mike Pence had to field that question last night. Isn't it so interesting, friends? The way the uh, journos play the game. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, let's not forget about Kamala's record. I'm sorry, I skipped past this one. Vice President Pence dismantled her record last night. He wasn't only a very effective defender of the Trump administration record and really uh, just a promoter of what has gone on here someone who will smash the uh, the lunacy of the left, acting like Donald Trump has been some catastrophic failure who's killed 200,000 people as if he was going around, you know, smothering them all with a pillow himself. These people are nuts, crazy, totally outrageous stuff that they say. But Pence went after Kamala's record. Here's what he said. Play 10. But you talk about having personally prosecuted. I'm glad you brought up your record, Senator. Thank you. But that's, I, I really need to make this point. When you were when you were D.A. in San Francisco, when you left office, 
African-Americans were 19 times more likely to be prosecuted for minor drug offenses than whites and Hispanics. When you were attorney general of California, you you increased the the disproportionate incarceration of blacks in California. You did nothing on criminal justice reform in California. You didn't lift a finger to pass the first step back on Capitol Hill. I mean, the reality is your record speaks for itself. President President Trump and I have fought for criminal justice reform. Thank you, Vice President We fought for educational choice and opportunities for African-Americans, all of our members. Thank you, sir. And we'll do it for four months. Thank you. So the moderator here, you'll notice, is, uh, you know, every, every like, four seconds, thank you, thank you, know, trying to talk over him to get him to stop. I just want you to note that there was a lot of complaining initially about how uh, Pence steamrolled Kamala and all this stuff. She spoke more than he did, okay? She got more airtime the good news about these things is that we actually can measure it and it's there and there's a record. I think she spoke for two or three minutes more in total than the vice president did. So it's almost exactly equal time. So I'll say that's pretty good. But if we're really going to talk about this, there's no steamrolling. She spoke more than he did. You can't say you're steamrolled when you get to talk more than someone else. Now, on the uh, issue of Kamala's record, he got at something that's very important here, something that doesn't get nearly enough attention. And that is Democrats often talk about disparate impact in the criminal justice system, which is just a, a way of, of talking about how you, in many jurisdictions, in many places, have a larger number of certain groups incarcerated than they represent of the general population. New York City is a good example of this, where you have 90 percent of Rikers Island is either black or Hispanic, Rikers Island being the main prison here. Well, we're told that that's all about systemic racism. And Pence is pointing out that you actually meeting Kamala Harris when she was the state attorney general, uh, that incarceration of African-Americans went up substantially compared to her predecessor. So why is that? Was she a part of systemic racism? It's a brilliant point that I think should get uh, more attention from the vice president. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's talk more about the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans on criminal justice for a minute, shall we? This came up in the debate. It comes up all the time because of the uh, BLM protests. There's another one that happened. It's not getting much attention right now, but there's another set of protests, riots going on. I believe where someone was shooting at cops. It, it's it's honestly tough to keep it all straight and keep up with this. And Kamala did the usual last night where she was saying justice wasn't done in the Breonna Taylor case. That's a very, uh, you know, that that's a very kind of wishy washy. Don't really take a position because as she's saying, the justice system did not do the law there the justice system did not actually function it's supposed to or just there's no such thing as justice for a woman who's killed accidentally by the cops because obviously the latter is true you're never going to achieve justice but you could argue then that our entire justice system is misnamed because anybody who's a victim of a crime sending away the person that did it to you doesn't make it doesn't really make it better maybe it protects the rest of society and we need to punish the guilty and i understand that there are reasons for this but i'm just saying you never really get justice, right? If, if some guy uh, robs your home, steals all your stuff and and attacks you in the middle of the night and then they catch him six months later and he goes to prison for 10 years. OK, that's the justice system working. 
it's not really justice for you. You just wish that thing had never happened. So I just I note that what she says, your justice wasn't done. Uh, I, I think that's a very interesting way to put it. Um, she was clear in that she has to take the side of BLM, and that's that's not a surprise. She very clearly is a big BLM supporter uh, and has been on the record saying all kinds of things about how it's a great movement for change and it's really in line with the, the, the civil rights heroes of the past that BLM is doing all this great stuff. I mean, I think she's completely insane for saying this stuff, but she believes it. She believes it. And Pence pointed out that, you know, you really like to offer somebody who was a part of a justice system that sent a lot of people to prison, meaning Kamala Harris when she was state attorney general, when she was a prosecutor before that, uh, really doesn't have much faith in the system at all when it suits her politically. Play 13. Well, our heart breaks for the loss of innocent, any innocent American life. And the family of Breonna Taylor has our sympathies. But... I, I trust our justice system, a grand jury that refused the evidence. And it really is remarkable that as a former prosecutor, you would assume that an impaneled grand jury looking at all the evidence got it wrong. But uh, you're entitled to your opinion, Senator. So, yeah, they, they got it wrong. What I would have said, I'm just going to point this one out. Someone should ask Kamala Harris, are the cops murderers? You are a, a prosecutor. You know the law. Would you charge one of those officers with murder? Really? Uh, that she should be pressed on that one. Let's hear it because she could not say no and stay in the good graces of the Democrat left and the BLM rioters and all the rest of it. Couldn't couldn't do it. They want to hear that. Yes, those cops are murderers, even though that would mean that we're creating a new standard for murder by which when you try to defend yourself, uh, you can be considered a murderer, even if your actions are entirely justifiable but if something bad happens while you're defending yourself, that is an accident, which is what happened to those cops. One cop was hit in the femoral artery and could have bled out and died right there. It was it was a, a near fatal, a near fatal shooting of that officer. He's not supposed to shoot back. Now you're going to start firing at cops. The cops are going to fire back. I don't know how anyone could expect anything else, but that is surely one of the areas of demagoguery where the Democrats can't give up any ground. They, they can't do it. None whatsoever. There's no, no way they would get away with that for their base. And then you look at the other area where I think Pence could have hammered it home a little bit more. Look, he did a very good job. And so now, I, look, I'm doing a little bit of uh, Thursday morning quarterbacking here after the Wednesday night debate, but I wish he had gone after it a little bit more on the rioting and BLM and all of this and all of this insanity. I mean, he, he made this clear. Here's what he said. Play six. And with regard to George Floyd, there, there's no excuse for what happened to George Floyd. Justice will be served. But there's also no excuse for the rioting and looting that followed. I mean, it, it really is astonishing. Flora Westbrook is with us here tonight in Salt Lake City. Just a few weeks ago, I stood at what used to be uh, her salon. It was burned to the ground by rioters and looters. And, and Flora is still trying to put her life back together. Yeah, how could anyone justify that? Oh, but BLM's really angry, so that's... No. 
No, this is no different than if somebody doesn't like a jury verdict and goes out and just hits some random person on the street in the head with a brick because they're angry. If you, if you can justify that, then you've destroyed you've destroyed our entire system of laws where you have individual culpability and responsibility and the right for people to be protected. And it's all gone. But it does seem that they're willing to at least kick at the load bearing walls of our justice system because it placates this mentality, this this anger that exists on the left toward the system, toward the cops. And these are Democrat base voters. These are people that that are very much, uh, you know, in, in favor, not only of the Biden Harris ticket, but these are the activists. These are the people that get the other voters out. You know, these are the people that get the other voters going. So they're not going to speak the truth about it, which is that the cops are overwhelmingly doing the right thing. Um, you know, here's here's a perfect way to encapsulate this whole BLM debate and the thing we've been talking about for months now. They will excuse the rioting and the looting. Michelle Obama did this herself in that video. earlier. They'll excuse that by saying, well, it was 90 percent peaceful. But they will condemn law enforcement, our justice system and our brave men and women who wear the uniform of the police on the streets of American cities and our state troopers and highway patrol. They'll 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 defame them by referring to our systemically racist law enforcement system based upon the shooting of unarmed black men. That is one. I mean, I can't even do the math off the top of my head, but it's a tiny, tiny fraction that is less than one percent of all police encounters using force of any kind. Um, And it's something that in a country of 330 million people happens less than 50 times a year, probably more like 15 to 20 times a year, where someone who is unarmed and black is shot and killed by cops. And sometimes it's entirely justified, moral and legitimate when that happens. That's we need to say that that is true. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not when it's not. The law should be and I think generally is applied with its full force against that law enforcement officer who has transgressed, who has broken his or her oath and who needs to be uh, brought to justice, needs to be punished. So that's that's my view of where I think they need to go on that one. I wish I wish we could see uh, a little bit more. I don't know, a little bit more fire, <laughs> fire and fury. Oh, I like that book. A little bit more fire in the belly on this issue of the rioting coming from the left and what's going on there. That's what I would like to see, uh, because people really need to know exactly what has gone on here and who's responsible for it. You know, I almost forgot the I wanted to throw this in there, too. One of the best lines of the night that Pence had had to do with with China, China. And the trade war, because Kamala Harris was claiming that Joe Biden, oh, that uh, Donald Trump lost the trade war with China, which I, I don't I mean, look at to say that she's wrong and making stuff up is obviously nothing new on this show. But here here's what Pence said about about Biden and, and his record on China. I mean, effectively, Pence dunked so hard on Biden and China that he shattered the backboard and then Kamala had to clean up the broken glass below it afterwards. I mean, this was a really good moment for him. Play three. Lost the trade war with China. Joe Biden never fought it. 
Joe Biden has been a cheerleader for communist China through over the last several decades. And, and again, uh, Senator Harris, you're entitled to your opinion. You're not entitled to your own facts. When Joe Biden was vice president, we lost 200,000 manufacturing jobs. And President Obama said they were never coming back. He said we needed a magic wand to bring them back. In our first three years after we cut taxes, you, rolled back president. regulation, unleashed American energy, this administration saw 500,000 manufacturing jobs yes. created. And that's exactly the kind of growth we're going to continue to see as we bring our nation through Thank you, this president. pandemic. Yes. Good stuff from the vice president. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, team, very fortunate here to be joined by Mercedes Schlapp. She is a senior advisor of the Trump campaign. You see her on Fox and across all media outlets all the time. Mercedes, thanks for uh, making the time. Well, thank you for having me. I'm actually live from the Women for Trump bus. It's a big pink bus going through uh, Pennsylvania. We've had several stops here in uh, near Pittsburgh, and it's been a very enthusiastic crowd uh, ready to win in come November. Tell us about this this uh, ready for uh, women for Trump rather uh, this this whole campaign. What do you, who's a part of it? What's the what's the next itinerary? And what are you telling the ladies out there? Because we all know that uh, particularly suburban women voters are a very coveted demographic in this upcoming battle. Well, I think one of the phenomenons that we have found when we've been on the road for so much and we've been on this bus, uh, it's been going for over close to over 100 days, uh, has been the incredible response from women. Women who are leading many of these field offices, women who are making phone calls, knocking on doors, you know, basically saying we have to get President Trump reelected, very concerned about the direction that the Democrats have taken, where they really have uh, abandoned any sort of moderate policies, moved to the far left on so many of the issues. And, uh, and you know, we uh, really spend a lot of time talking to these women and, and in the get-out-the-vote effort. So uh, today on the bus, it's, I'm with Katrina Pearson, uh, another senior advisor in the campaign, one of the originals for 2016, uh, Laura Trump. Uh, is joining us as well. And, you know, I just got to tell you, we feel very strongly that it's important to be in contact with these voters, uh, let them know that the president is incredibly grateful for the work that they're doing. And obviously during this time that we know that the president has been fighting for us, fighting for America, and it's our turn to fight for him, get him to the finish line, and continue to really expose the far-left agenda of Kamala and uh and Joe Biden, which we know even yesterday in the in the vice presidential camp uh, debate, Kamala couldn't even answer basic questions like, will they pack the court? And you can see a little bubble over her head saying, well, of course, we're going to pack the court. But they're not willing to be transparent and honest with the American people. Speaking of Mercedes Schlapp, senior advisor for the Trump campaign, she's uh, out on the road trying to make things happen so that Trump gets four more years. Mercedes, uh, specifically from the, the woman, women voters that you're talking to out there, and, and especially in these swing states where everyone's going to have such a focus for the next few weeks here as we get into the final stretch, what are the biggest things that they're wanting to ask about? And what are their, what is, what's the top of their list of concerns right now? I mean, I know it's going to be one of the things we, but I want to know from, from what you're hearing, what are they putting at number one, number two? I would say uh, number one and number two are clearly the economy and ensuring that we're able to uh, build a strong economy, a robust economy. 
uh, and they've seen President Trump do it once, and uh, they know he's going to do it again. And we've seen, obviously, a lot of progress in that area. Uh, you know, in the recent jobs numbers where we've created over 11 million jobs <clears throat> in the last four months. And so the other piece of this, I would say, is safe communities. It's this idea that we've seen a lot of chaos on the streets and the fact that he, the president, has made it very clear uh, that law and order is a priority and that uh, that we're that we don't report on defunding the police, that we hone in on community say community policing, community safe safety, and that's also another priority. And of course, you know, COVID is on the minds of so many of these women voters. You know, it has been exhausting uh, to raise children during this time, to make ends meet uh, during this time of dealing with the global pandemic. And this idea that Joe Biden really has no plan, as Vice President Mike Pence said yesterday, yesterday, they're literally plagiarizing what President Trump and the vice president have already offered and what the plans that we have put in place. And what's so shocking to me is the fact that, you know, I know the Democrats want to use coronavirus, as you know, Jane Fonda said, that this is a God, God's gift to the Democrats to politicize this whole issue. That's disgraceful. Uh, we're in a global pandemic. The president is fighting hard to make sure that we're able to develop the vaccines, to get the therapeutics to market, uh, so that the American people who are inflicted with coronavirus can uh, get better and get healthy. And the other piece of this is that we can't be in lockdown indefinitely. It is really causing a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety uh, for our youth, for our families. Uh, we need to be able to reopen our economies and our schools safely and responsibly. And that's what the president is focused on, to ensuring uh, that we can move in that direction, as opposed to Joe Biden, which wants to end some of the media that want to make sure that we all live in fear. Mercedes, what are we expecting now for the next presidential debate? As of uh, as of today, we've heard the Biden campaign wants it to be a virtual debate. And the Trump campaign, as of the latest reporting I've seen, says, well, there's not going to be a virtual debate. What can you tell us? Well, what was shocking was that I call them the Communist Commission of Presidential Debates. I mean, they've got like never Trumpers on there. And one of the things that you what I'm finding with them is that they literally made this unilateral decision on moving forward with a virtual debate without even talking to the campaigns about it. Just think about that. And that's what's so disturbing is the fact that uh, they're, they're looking to protect Joe Biden. They know that the president had a very strong night. They know that Mike Pence won the debate yesterday. And so at this point, it just seems that they have no interest in uh, ensuring that this conversation and this important conversation happens between the two presidents, uh, between the two candidates, I should say. And so I think it's important to, to really um, understand that this was a unilateral decision made by the commission. They did not discuss it with the campaigns. And that is incredibly problematic. So we're hoping and what we're looking to do is to move the debate a week later, have the two debates, one uh, October 22nd, the next October 29th. And let's have that discussion where the American people can see these two men in person being able to, you know, describe what their visions are for America. And that is, I think, what we're uh, what the goal is at this time. Mercedes Schlapp, senior advisor for the Trump campaign out there on the trail, on the bus, doing the work. Mercedes, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our buddy David Harsanyi of National Review back in the mix here to tell us what he's seeing in the realm of politics, culture, America, all that good stuff. David, great to have you back. Always a pleasure. Thank you. So what did you think about last night, man? Uh, I mean, I thought I thought Pence won convincingly in almost every area you can win a debate. I mean, uh, I didn't think Trump had won. Though I didn't think it was as bad a performance as many did, but I think that clearly Pence was the winner here on both specifics of policy and both in general pushing back. As someone on, online I saw said that Pence is kind is better at defending Trump's record than Trump is. I think that that's a pretty fair assessment sometimes. Um, the way he kept his cool, and uh, I think part of that also has to do with Kamala Harris not being uh, perhaps as... as uh, likable as uh, perhaps some other candidates yeah well that's not surprising to anybody i mean this was we we ran this experiment already of do do even democrats really like kamala harris the answer is no i, I want to pose this question to you because people have been asking me this and i gave my assessment at, at the beginning of the show but i want to know what you think here why did they pick kamala harris like wh- what was the thinking behind this it feels in retrospect now especially after last night like that wasn't a very strong move I mean, I, I think obviously part of it is that, uh, you know, it has a lot to do with identity politics. And I think that not to say that there aren't good uh, black women candidates out there, but to just say that a few months before you're making this decision without seeing who you mesh with best or how candidates are going to perform uh, is puts you in a, in a pretty tight spot. So um, obviously, like you mentioned or alluded to, she was not popular with Democrats. She had a horrible primary. So. Uh, I don't know why he picked her. I think it hasn't worked out. We don't see much of her. I kind of forgot she was even running until yesterday, frankly, for, for weeks. Um, her positions are are out of sync with the the sort of what he's trying to project, this idea that they're moderates. I mean, she's taken left-wing positions on the environment, on guns, on a ton of other things that simply are, I think, out of sync with most Americans. So I don't know. Is, is the, That's a long answer. I don't know. I don't know. It just feels like the, the to me, I mean, and except for the identity politics piece. And I know when we talk about Elizabeth Warren, identity politics, you and I, the jokes start writing themselves. Right. But if you wanted a, a female vice president who was actually popular with Democrat voters who did have substantial support, Kamala w- w- was never popular with the Democrats and the idea that she would now be useful. But no, I, I think we also need to remember that. I mean, she's she's the, she's the governor of California. I mean, she's the senator of California, so it's not like she has no support. No, I don't she, know that Elizabeth Warren. That may, maybe Warren would have, maybe Warren would have been a bad pick, but I just mean in the Democrat primary. There was, I mean, Warren was number three at you know behind Bernie and Biden, but especially toward the end, and Kamala never got that much help. And your point about California, I think, is interesting because yes, she can appeal. To people in California, I think the same way that Joe, I, I think that everyone needs to remember there are some states where you have to appeal to beyond just your own party. California is obviously not one of them, um, but it's also going to be a more far left electorate than you'd see even in some of the other states that are at least closer to being purple. But no, that, that's a fair point. Kamala won the I, I, who do we even remember who'd she run right. against? You don't have to. Right, right. 
Uh, well, obviously, I think she probably had primary candidates. I don't remember. Well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. They run. Yeah, they don't run against a Republican, which is why these these people who are always talking about all the Democratic voters who come out. Yeah. Republicans have no reason to come out in California for statewide elections because there's no one to vote for. So, you know, it's a little different. But you make a good point in that you don't really need Harris because California is going to be yours anyway. So why not pick someone perhaps who appeals to, you know, middle America or the South or something like that, try to pick up a state here or there with a candidate. But that hasn't really worked very well since, you know, Gore lost Tennessee, right? I, I don't know how much that actually matters. Yeah, well, that's that's the other question. Other than the fact that there's, I think, a realistic, uh, a realistic thought that Kamala Harris might actually have to take over the presidency if Biden wins this election and not that far off. I think that that is look, the guy's going to be almost 80 like you know, he's president of the United States. This is real. Right. I mean, when you get to this age and Democrats have kind of learned recently that you can't just keep wishing people to be in, you know, infinite good health for as long as you want them to be for political reasons. Uh, the uh, you know, never mind what what's happened here with Trump. But they it seems to me maybe the Democrat doesn't really I mean, the uh, vice president, maybe it doesn't really matter that much usually. And I, I don't think the debate will matter that much either. Now that I've spent a lot of time analyzing and pulling apart in terms of who people vote for. But do you think it does? Uh, I don't think it matters a ton. It might matter more because of what you just pointed out. You have two older people as president and not just old, you know, very you know, considerably older people than you usually have running, you know, either running for president or even in the presidency. So it might matter to some extent. I think it's more like this. If you just perform admirably or don't embarrass yourself, nothing happens. But you can hurt yourself by having a really bad performance. So um, I'm not sure that Harris had that terrible of a performance enough to change any of the dynamics. But it certainly seems to me like she's not going to ever win a presidential election. I mean, she may have become president one day, but I, I just I don't think she's ever going to win. one. She's just not a, that good a debater. I, I noticed that, um, you know, during the primaries as well. She's just not that good. Her canned lines come off canned and 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 her 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 sort of like fake. Uh, indignation and stuff is just it's just really obvious, at least to me. You know? right, look, it felt very staged. It felt very staged to me. And I mean, I, rem- I was willing to admit it. I mean, o- Obama, when he was in his zone, you know, when he was doing his thing, uh, it, it, there were a lot, it appeals to a lot of Democrats. And there are a lot of other folks who they they like the the Obama way of being on stage and the speeches and everything else. And even Joe Biden gets away. I think now that he's kind of older and a little more tired, it seems a bit more forced. But his whole rolled up sleeves, Joe from Amtrak. I mean, you, I appreciate that you've put it out. The Acela is like a very, you know, a very high end train, a very high end train life. This is not like the, the way Joe Biden you know, makes it sound. It's like he's wearing overalls and he's there shoveling coal with the engineers or something. That's not that's not Joe Biden. Good old Amtrak Joe. Uh, but you know, with with uh, with Kamala, there was no. Go ahead. I was just going to say he pays 20,000. He pays 20,000 a month for his mansion here in uh, McLean or wherever in uh, Virginia. But I just want to quickly say the difference between those two is this. It, it's the Costanza thing. If you don't, if you believe your lie is true, it becomes true. And that's what I think Biden is. I think he believes the stories he tells. I think he believes that he's a sort of working class Joe. Um, so it, it always comes off as more authentic than Harris, who I don't think believes anything she's saying, right? Um, I think there's an authenticity 
for Biden because he actually believes the fairy tale he's built around about himself, which has gone on now for 30 years. It's like the incredible notion that Harris repeated yesterday that Biden is running because of what happened in Charlottesville. He's been running for president since 1987. Um, he's probably even before that. It is, it, is, it is just a lie, and everyone knows it, and she knows it when she says it. Well, I also think the whole Charlottesville thing is, is a lie, and Pence did a good job of finally really addressing it and saying the president has Jewish grandchildren. So calling him a neo-Nazi is pretty gross and beyond, or the saying that he has sympathy for neo-Nazis pretty disgusting. And uh, they also leave, I mean, his, his daughter, one of his daughters is a convert to Judaism as well. But beyond that, he said in the speech, I totally condemn neo-Nazis and the bad people, but I'm just talking about the statue debate. He clar he clarified in the statement. They always cite exactly what he was saying. It wasn't a later clarification. It was, as you know, the equivalent of a paragraph down of the transcript, just so everyone's very clear on what he's saying. And he's Trump, so he's imprecise with his words. And they've just I, I feel like that's been the, one of the fundamental dishonesties that the, the media and the Democrats have run with this whole time. And it's really a foundational lie of the resistance. You know, it's that and Russia collusion are the two things they dug in on. And they're both complete fabrications. And yet we're supposed to take them seriously when they even at this stage continue to cite Russian interference in the election and Trump's Charlottesville comments. It's even worse than that in a way, because she she, she framed the the uh, Charlottesville comment as if Trump said it while the neo-Nazis were marching about them specifically. And then she tied it into this larger story of him saying things about soldiers and so on. But the way she framed it was even worse than the lie itself is usually told. And it is a lie. And you're right, though. I mean, it was it was, should have been a slam dunk for Trump at the time to 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 be more clear and precise about what he meant. But still, he didn't say what they claim he says, which has become so prevalent that it's everywhere all the time. And no one will fact check it, really. I mean, on the, you know, in the, in the media, they'll just repeat it. And now she gets to say things like Trump walked up to, the, you know, the, the graves of soldiers and spit on them, which is also probably not true either. We have no real corroboration of that story, but yet they can just say it. They work in sync with the Atlantic magazine or whoever reported that. And they do this constantly. And it's very hard to fight back against. And I think you're right. Pence did a good job of uh, pointing those things out as the debate went along. And he also did a good job of posing questions that Susan Page who everyone says or most people say did a good job. I don't think that that's true. Wouldn't ask, you know. Yeah, well, she didn't ask like, about the Supreme you know, Court, yeah. which was stunning. She didn't ask. Yeah. Right. The court packing question was very, a very good moment for Pence, where she wouldn't answer. And then she went off on some ridiculous, you know, diversity sets, rant. You know, yeah. Diversity rant. It was, um, he should have done more of that. He, they, that, I think, is what Republicans should be doing. So, like, when they ask you, would you would you ban, uh, Vice President Pence, would you ban abortion in Indiana? You should turn to Kamala Harris and say, give me the single restriction on abortion you support. Do you support state-funded abortions until the ninth month? Because they're never going to ask that question of the other candidate, never. Yeah, you're right. You know, and I think that's important. And, and uh, I spoke with uh, Jesse Kelly about this last night right afterwards. And, you know, because he said she was horrible. And I said, well, she, the, the moderator was horrible, but it felt like in comparison to uh, the Chris, I mean, the Chris Wallace white supremacist question. I mean, that for me is just I, 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 that's like, you know, hit hit the button, nuke it all. I can't handle this anymore. I mean, for me, that was a total, a total debacle. 
But you're right. I mean, the, the moderate we, we are so used to the bias and so used to the journos doing what they do that we don't even really ever step back and say, uh, hold, hold on a second. Why can't they ask a question like that? They'd ask questions like that of Republicans. No, we, we, have, bec- we have become so used to allowing them to frame the issues, talk about the issues that they find important, that uh, we, we don't talk about the issues that we do. Now, the, whether, whether he wants to ban abortion or not, overturning Roe would only bring it back to the states. Now let's have an argument on, about abortion. But when you really, they always point out that Roe is, you know, overturning it is so unpopular. Well, let's see how po- what polls say about people who want state-funded abortions in the ninth month. They, you know, I, I assure you that that's going to be unpopular as well, but they never bring it up. And even the sort of words they use, like, you know, pro-choice or whatever it is, it's always skewing in one direction. I'm not sure how to fix that. I don't know what to do other than taking over a debate and asking your own questions, which is why I think these debates are ridiculous anyway. Let them fight. It is ridiculous to have all these rules, like they're in the middle of a good conversation and someone has to butt in and say, oh, it's the two minute deadline on this question so we can talk about global warming or whatever. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah, they really should just have people. people They should just have somebody who's sitting there to, you know, I guess, try to keep some degree of equal time and let let them have at it. Because my least favorite thing with the debate was every time it felt like it was getting good, there was this, but we got to get to this other thing. Why? I don't give a crap about global warming. I don't want to hear about this nonsense. Let them actually have the debate they're having. Or have a number of debates and have them talk about different issues per debate. You should throw, like, for instance, why are you asking different questions of both candidates? Throw up an issue and let's see what they have to say about it. I just don't understand why you have to lead the conversation in that way. Uh, you know, Pence had better questions than the moderator. Yeah. From the Republican point of view, but still, but let let. Kamala Harris, ask her own questions if she wants. Maybe that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I like it. David Arsani, everybody, nationalreview.com for his latest. Check out his very clear thinking and clear writing at nationalreview.com. David, thanks so much for joining. Thank you, sir. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Got to throw a discussion of COVID into the mix here before we get to a roll call. Kamala went after the administration. This look, this is their single biggest area of attack. And it's really all about COVID's terrible. We know that it's hurt the, the American people uh, very badly. 200,000 plus people have died. How many of them died from COVID directly versus with COVID? That's a discussion we'll continue to have going forward. But it's clearly a lot of people that have died from COVID-19. And it's done terrible things to our economy. It's true of a lot of countries around the world, but they want to blame Trump for all of it. And Kamala Harris is certainly part of of that effort. Uh, Play 16. Trump administration's perspective and approach to China has resulted in the loss of American lives, American jobs and America's standing. There is a weird obsession that President Trump has had with getting rid of whatever accomplishment was achieved by President Obama and Vice President Biden. For example, they created within the White House an office that basically was responsible for monitoring pandemics. They got away, they they got rid of it. Not true. There was a team of disease experts that President Obama and Vice President Biden dispatched to China to monitor what is now predictable and what might happen. They pulled them out. We now are looking at 210,000 Americans who have lost their lives. 
all because of Trump is what you're supposed to take from this. So that's insane, but they believe it, or at least they want enough people to believe it so that they can become the regime in charge here. Uh, first of all, what she's saying is not true, but as Vice President Pence pointed out, they did not scrap all these disease experts. We have a CDC. We have an NIH. We have an intelligence community with you know hundreds of thousands of people running around in it. Okay? What exactly... What exactly are we supposed to to think was going to happen here? Oh, if only we had had a a handful of people in the NSC who specialized in pandemic. What? They would have known more than Fauci. They would have known more than the other experts. I mean, you got experts all over the place. And honestly, most of them were kind of worthless. What have they been able to tell us? People forget that we didn't know how how this was going to affect particularly the the elderly and the more vulnerable until it really hit Italy very badly. And at that point, it had already spread to American shores and was was anyway, it, just lying about it. You know, who is to blame for it, though. Pence is right about this. China. Play 18. China is to blame for the coronavirus. And President Trump is not happy about it. He's made that very clear, made it clear again today. China and the World Health Organization did not play straight with the American people. They did not let our personnel into China to get information on the coronavirus until the middle of February. <sighs> Finally, some honesty. I mean, the vice president did a phenomenal job. I know we spent a lot of time talking about it today, but the guy deserves a big high five. And uh, he really showed what the other the other side of this debate is all about, which is misdirection, lies, obfuscating, stonewalling, and doesn't really have very much to offer the American people. Uh, the, the Trump record is something that they can be proud of. The Biden-Harris record is well, individually and then what they would do going forward is something that they just can't be honest with the American people about. That's the biggest single takeaway from all of this. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. So glad we have Roll Call so I can hear from all of you across the country about what you think about the show and just what's going on in your lives. But also, you know, it's nice to hear stories about what's going on in other places because we have so much less contact with each other. I, I go I do so much less traveling now and don't get to get around. And, and it's a shame. I, I like being able to bring you some stories and tell you about things, but. We're all everyone's in kind of work from home lockdown mode here in New York, New Jersey. I don't know what it's like in other places, so I'm glad to hear from all of you. I think it's a little bit better, but it looks like my brother is going to be moving down to Texas the next couple of weeks. So I'm going to have a there's going to be a Sexton in Texas a couple of weeks from now. So I'll be visiting him. He's going to be in Austin. So it's a KLBJ. I know I've been promising you folks for a long time, but I will be telling you at some point I'm, I'm down for the weekend and I'm going to be, you know, eating some barbecue and hanging out downtown. You can all come and uh, I'd say first rounds on me, but there could be a lot of them and that might get very expensive. And, you know, got to got to watch the expenses during the pandemic. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll make it happen. Uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton on the Facebook Instagram. Buck Sexton, please send us your your messages there and let's get to it. Andrew writes, uh, hey, Buck, Marine Corps lawyer here. I wonder if Republicans in Congress could propose a constitutional amendment to establish nine Supreme Court justices, I think it would have wide public support. 
And then maybe uh, Joe Biden will answer whether he supports it. Love the show. Keep up the good work, brother. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for writing in. Thank you for your service, sir. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it, it's a good idea what you raise, but I just know how the Democrats would probably dodge it very, very early on, very, very quickly. And that's just to say, uh, well, of course, it'll be not. We don't even need we don't need it. Andrew, that's what they would say. We don't need it. We're nine. It's going to be nine. Sure. Sure. And you'd say, well, Buck, but they've said that maybe they'd pack the court. Yeah, but that's just that's just what they're saying to try to get their base happy right now. They can't tell people what they would really do right now. So uh, I think they would they would avoid it. Uh, Just like look what Kamala is doing. She is straight up saying, no, not going to answer. No, not going to give you an answer. Huh? How does that work? Well, yeah, that's where we are. Um, but yeah, man, good thought, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Kevin, Buck, I run off the road and die because my fogged up glasses when I exhaled while wearing my required mask while driving for Uber. Is that a COVID related death? Uh, Kevin, first of all, please safety first, Kevin, take care of yourself. We need every we need every everyone on the team first and foremost to take good care of themselves and make sure they're healthy and safe. And as for, uh, yeah, COVID related deaths, the, the media has no interest in finding out whether this is true or not. The, the media has no interest in finding out whether uh, there is, in fact, a, an, an inflated number of COVID deaths because of the way that they're categorizing them. There have been doctors who have come forward and said, yes, sure enough, it is the case that we are counting things as COVID related deaths that are not COVID related deaths, but they don't care. They, they, the media doesn't, it doesn't matter. They're just going to keep pretending that this is not an issue because for right now, and this will switch. So there'll be far fewer deaths uh, attributable to a Biden administration under changed rules of COVID, not actually any response because of the way they tabulate the numbers. The fix is in folks. The fix is in. We all know it. Chris, howdy, Mr. Sexton. Love the show. Any way you can post your bit on Obama reading off a teleprompter, that is no doubt in the top five funniest things I've heard in my life. Your discussion on that was awesome. It'll serve as a great pick-me-up when needed. Keep doing what you're doing, and thank you for it. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I'm really, really pleased that that, uh, that was so amusing. Mark, which one did I do? What was that? What did I do? I Mark have- has to remind me of what I say on the show the day of as soon as I'm done. I'm like Will Ferrell in old school where it's like he prepares for the debate, jams it all in his head, and then afterwards he's like, he doesn't remember anything. Um, I have a I feeling do? this was before my time, and this was in the Ob- Obama administration. Probably an OSS member here. Uh, so it wasn't recent then, yeah, because no. I, I, don't, I, don't I don't know when I did this. I mean, I, I don't know. I've done a lot of funny things, folks. I don't want to tell you, you know. It's hard to keep up. What can I say? Sorry. Um, yeah, I don't, well, Chris, we'll try to find out what, what this was, what I did. And I'm okay, team. I'm going to tell you this too. And Mark is going to groan, but I, I, I give you my word. We are days away from the next Shields High podcast days away, not weeks, days from a Shields High podcast, right at the height of the election. I know, but I feel like we could all use something that's not election related to listen to. It's already the first episode. The first new episode is 75% recorded. So I'm not I'm not to, no, no, Mark. Mark, don't no, 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 we don't want to hear it from Mark about how I've been promising for months and months. I'm just telling you folks right now it is recorded and it will be out relatively. See, now soon. that you've said it, you're going to procrastinate even more. 
let's hope not. I would have preferred you just didn't say anything. And just yeah, I should have just told me when it was just, done. I should have just surprised everybody with it. But now, now this is like I've I've made a deadline for myself that there's even I can't escape this. I one. mean, I'm gonna fuck, you to. made a deadline six months ago, just for the record. No, but this is like a real deadline. Oh, this is this is a deadline that you know it's like it's a deadline, not a you know come on maybe. I'm just saying we're gonna get it done, and people can listen to the history, and I think they'll like it, and I've got a whole bunch of others in my mind, and once I get moving with it, then I think it'll. Once you get those juices flowing, then it's easy to keep keep the history train rolling. Dan, here we go. Buck, I'm a professional software engineer with my own business. I manage enterprise-scale clients, including a very well-known media company, a distinguished university, and a handful of Silicon Valley startups. If I was as wrong as Anthony Fauci at any point with my clients, I would be laughed out of the industry. We are led by, as you would say, unimpressive people. I have never heard of Dr. Fauci before COVID, and the doctors I am familiar with, such as Dr. Salk, Pasteur, and Freud, all have considerable accomplishments in their field. Even Dr. Drew or Ken Jeong are more reputable at this point. And most importantly, please ask producer Mark about Dr. Fauci's, not calling him doctor anymore, throwing motion. How can we entrust the safety of our nation to a man who throws like that? Producer Mark, we, we defer to your expertise. Does the man throw in a, in a way that is... Not to be trusted. Well, yeah. I mean, you remember the uh, opening day first pitch uh, for the Nationals? He threw it to first base when he was trying to throw it to home plate, basically. It was terrible. Uh, isn't he like in his mid-late 70s, though? Yeah, but you, I mean, if you're in somewhat good health, you should be able to throw a ball straight. I think that's, I think that's fair. He I, also was the captain of my high school's basketball team. A different type of, the, maybe you give him a basketball instead of a baseball next time. He was the captain of the high of the of the basketball team. He was five seven, um, which is which is no. I, I think and he, I think he played center as well, which was interesting. He's the center. He's captain. He's five seven. So huh. I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess in the, that league they don't grow him tall. Yeah, that, yeah, because five seven for a basketball center is not not particularly large. Deborah, since all the Democrats are so worried about having a hearing for Judge Barrett, is there some reason why they can't just take a vote if Mitch McConnell has the votes? Thank you. Um, Deborah, I've been saying all along, I think that's what they should do. The hearing is coming up on Monday, so there, there certainly will be uh, some fireworks there. The hearing is coming up. And yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I don't know. Um, that's where we're at, Bob. I look. I. I. But back to your your thing, Deborah. I. I want to believe that. I think I just kind of did a Kamala too. There, I was like, you know, the hearing it's coming up. I mean, look, it's been a long show. What could I tell you? The hearing's coming up, and it's going to be a hearing, and we're going to hear things at it. <laughs> sort of like I was Kamala on the debate stage, uh, just spewing nonsense. I, I think they should go right to a vote. I don't. I wish that they weren't going to open the door for the assaults on a ACB. I just, I don't see how they're going to be able to stop ACB. Even even with what they're going to try to do, it just won't work. Even with a Democrat, uh, a Democrat opposition that would break any rule of decorum, decency, morality, or ethics to stop her, I don't see the pathway. What are they going to say that she was a high school rapist, too? I mean, they could try. I don't think that will work. So what are they going to go with? 
Then I call her a racist. Yes, the woman who adopted two children from Haiti and loved them as her own and raised them, you know, within her own family is a racist. Sure, that's going to work really well. You know, it, so they those are the usual. And look, Kamala last night, I will say this, didn't really get to play much of either the racist card against Pence or the uh, she the sexist card the media tried to play for her. But and she, she was being a little bit a uh, little bit snippy with Pence, but it was not. Wasn't there wasn't that much of it. So maybe ACB just gets through. But I'll just tell you this right now and I will not forget it. Kavanaugh was just sailing through. Kavanaugh was totally qualified. Sterling resume. Everything about this guy should have been just easy as easy can be to get him through. And then the coordinated assault with uh, the three fake accusers of Kavanaugh all coming forward to lie about him and call him a rapist and try to ruin his reputation and you know think about what they were really doing they, they wanted that man's they wanted brett kavanaugh's wife to think differently about him you know every night when they would go to sleep they would they want kavanaugh's wife to think that she had married a rapist i mean this is the most disgusting look the kavanaugh hearings uh they they create they created so many wartime conservatives and and changed the perspective that many of us have about the other side where we just realize they're they're totally ruthless. They'll do whatever. They don't care. And you can either fight back or just let them have their way. Those are your options. The third option about uh, triangulation or conciliation, you know, the, the Mitt Romney, John McCain, and yes, even George W. Bush approach at some level. Not good. Not good. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call. We got Bob up here. Hey, Buck and Mark, I think Trump's message after leaving Walter Reed yesterday that we should not allow fear of COVID, we should not let fear of COVID control us is very powerful and will resonate with a huge number of Americans. I think the Democrats also realize that, and I believe the media will freak out about it as an attempt to make the statement radioactive, try to scare Trump into toning down or abandoning the message. I am concerned they might succeed. I believe it is a winning message and he needs to keep it front and center. It speaks to the American spirit and American history. Who are we to borrow the Dems favorite phrase? And I think it ties directly with economic recovery. Knowing Trump as you do, do you think he and his team will resist the message and keep pounding? I'm sorry, resist the pressure and keep pounding this message home. Um, Yes, I think Trump will keep hammering this message, Bob. I'm very confident of that. And I've spoken to some of his top people and they're also very confident about that so yeah i would say the answer is yes i would say it's very likely that the president will stay right right where he needs to be with this um kevin buck when i run off the road and die because my glasses oh i'm sorry we already did that one uh where we go here uh kyle buck on tuesday's show you talked about the anti-cop hate movement in the democrat party while politicians talk out of both sides of their mouths, like Biden, of their masked mouths in order to not totally seem insane to moderate voters. It reminds me of the anti-military protest during the Iraq war. I remember being subject to some very nasty comments and gestures when in uniform from what were obvious libs, while Democrat politicians back then were doing the same rhetorical two-step you see now about supporting the troops while opposing the war. It was bull. 
like more recent, uh, more like resent the war fighter because the war is a useful political cudgel against Republicans. Our unit was a was near a college campus. And one night a brick was thrown through a large window with the words, don't forget, we'll always hate you spray painted on the remaining window. I haven't forgotten. These are the types of uh, people who protest cops now. It's disgusting. Kyle, thank you for your service. And uh, I think you're I think you're correct. I think that a lot of Democrat. Oh, we support the troops, but hate the war. No, a lot of them actually hate. A lot of them actually had disdain for the troops, too. If you look in this country, and this is why there are attacks on Trump and saying that he doesn't like the military. It's just so obvious and so fake uh, in this country. If you don't respect the military, there's about a ninety nine percent chance that you are a Democrat, a leftist and maybe ninety nine point nine. That's where that's where cop hatred lives. And that's where military hatred lives on the left of our political spectrum. It's just the truth. It's just the way that it is. So I think you see that, Kyle. I'm sorry that uh, some people show disrespect to you, but uh, the decent patriotic Americans who listen to this show cannot thank you enough for doing what you did, serving in uniform and, and being the best of, of uh, the American family. We appreciate it. Matt, I don't hear much about taking back the House this election. Is this a foregone conclusion that Republicans won't take control? Matt, I've heard about it, but you're right. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention. And I think it's because they don't want to raise expectations of maybe a unified Republican government and then have to obviously scale that back a whole lot if it doesn't end up coming to fruition. So I I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's uh, really looking that good for us right now. I haven't seen the polls recently. And I haven't seen a macro analysis of the House. My understanding is that it's probably going to be a tough one for us to take back the House. That's where that's what I've as I understand it. It's probably going to be tough for that to happen. So we shall see. Um, but I will look more into that one, Matt, because you're right. That's not real. a lot of focus on the, obviously the presidential race and on and on the Senate a bit too. not so much on the House race. And that's going to be up for grabs as well. John. Buck, first off, Pence killed it in the debate. Second, I used to subscribe to the prediction that the election will be close. But recently, after seeing a group of these Trump parades, yard signs, record new gun owners, record new black gun owners. And like in 2016, the Trump crowd versus the opposition crowd. I believe Trump will sweep on Election Day as long as he stays strong. All of these new gun owners are taking their safety into their own hands. They're not going to vote for the party that wants to ban them. Um. Let's see, John, I, I, I'd like to think that, you know, your your observations here will turn into a, a huge Trump wave. Let's just say that I like where your head's at, but I think it's going to be a very tight election. But I hope you're right and I'm wrong. I hope you're right and I'm wrong. Remember how I told you there probably wasn't going to be a second debate? It's looking like that might be the case, though. So I do tend to get this stuff right. Just going to say that. Remember, people asked me back in August. I said there'll be one. But that may be it. And that may be it. We'll see. All right, team, thanks so much. Please pass the buck. Tell someone this week to download the Buck Sexton Show wherever they listen to podcasts. Until next time, Shield Tide.